Today's reading is from Hosea 6, 1, and 2. That can be found on page 754 in the Bible's in front of you. Let's read together. Come, let us return to the Lord, for he has torn us that he may heal us. He has struck us, and he will bind us up. After two days, he will revive us. On the third day, he will raise us up, that we may live before him. Thank you, Kit. Um, so, so oftentimes when, when I get into a conflict with someone or get hurt by sub- somebody, um, for a lot of us, um, we have something that's called the f- fight-or-flight response, where we either want to meet that conflict head-on or what's hurting us head-on, or we want to get away from it. Um, for me personally, I have more of a flight response than a fight response. Um, if you were to ask my roommates how I deal with conflict, it's more, I kind of like to pretend it's not existing and get, get away from it. Um, but this really extends beyond just conflict, but between anything that we view as a threat to us, we either run towards it and fight or flee away from it and try to get away. And it's not just other people that can hurt us. The, the question I want to raise this, this evening is what do we do when it's God who hurts us. Now, I'm going to explain how, how that can be the case because we probably don't often think in those terms. But I want to ask the question, how should we respond when it is God who is the one who hurts us? And is it a right response? Is it a healthy response? Um, really quickly, can you guys hear me right now through the speakers? Is it? Okay, good. Good. Now, just so you know where we're at so far, um, we're walking bit by bit through the book of Hosea. And what we're doing is we've found the biggest themes in this book, and we're talking about a theme each week. That's how the Hebrew scriptures work. Authors will meditate on different themes, and they'll pick an important one, and they'll choose to focus on those different themes. The theme we're about to talk about is God's discipline for us. God's discipline for his children. And if you're not yet a follower of Jesus and you're here with us, I want you to pay attention because what I have to say about this will also apply to you and will apply to your life. So the the way I want to go about this is I have a sentence. I'm going to say the sentence. If you can understand the sentence, congratulations. You can understand the whole sermon. And it's a simple sentence, and the sentence has three parts. And I'm just going to talk about each part of the sentence. Those are my three points in the sermon. So the sentence is, God disciplines us for our good so that he can give us more of his presence. That's it. So let's start off with the first part of the sentence. God disciplines us. That's what's going on in the context of the Bible passage we're reading. Last week I preached on politics, and and specifically how Israel was making political alliances with other nations they shouldn't have been making alliances with. 
And as a result, God raised up other nations to come and punish and judge them for making those alliances. We can see that in um, Hosea 5.14. He says, For I will be like a lion to Ephraim, and like a young lion to the house of Judah. I, even I, will tear and go away. I will carry off, and no one shall rescue. So God says, I'm going to come discipline you for the sins that you have committed. And we can see that he says the exact same thing in our passage in verse 1. Come, let us return to the Lord. For he, that means God, has struck us down, or has torn us. And he, God, has struck us down. Now this is a new way for a lot of us to think about God. We often don't consider us God to be the one who strikes us down. We've been taught to think that God is nice, and he does nice things, which is true. He does more nice things to you than anyone has ever done nice things to you. But he disciplines us, too. He does strike us, too. And we have to understand that as a part of who God is. So I want you to consider a possibility. The possibility is when you're going through pain, when you're going through hardship or loss or suffering of some kind, and I'm going to talk more about what that can look like. One possibility is that you're being disciplined for sin. I didn't say certainly being disciplined for sin. That's the mistake that Job's friends made. They said, oh, you're suffering. You must have sinned. So we don't want to go there. But at the same time, we don't want to miss the point that when we're going through suffering, that it might actually be because of our sin. So if we look at Israel, God actually spoke ahead of time in the book of Deuteronomy, and he said, if you disobey me, if you do things against me when I bring you to the promised land, I'm going to judge you. And the promised land was this really special place. It wasn't just like, like a piece of real estate. Like I know a lot of you are buying and selling houses right now. It's not just like a different piece of real estate where it's like, man, I moved from here to here. The promised land is, is a special place where God's people could be with him like they could be with in no other place. That's what it was all about. And so God's saying, once I bring you into this place, if you disobey me, I'm going to discipline you. And I'm going to judge you more harshly and more harshly. And there's a list of judgments in chapter 28 until there's a big climatic judgment at the end that happens if they disobey him. Does anyone know what, what that climatic judgment is if they, if they don't, won't repent? Anyone? That's right. Exactly. They would get cast out of the land. They would be removed. The special place that God had brought them God would send them away until they are disciplined and until they learn what they've done and they return to God. We can see this in Deuteronomy chapter 28, verse 64. He says, And the Lord will scatter you among all peoples from one end of the earth to the other. And there you shall serve other gods of wood and stone, which neither you nor your fathers have known. And that was prophesied many, many years before they disciplined and sinned against them. 
and God warned them and says, don't do this or I'm going to discipline you this way. And we get to 2 Kings 17 and we read this. In the ninth year of Hosea, the king of Assyria captured Samaria and he carried the Israelites away to Assyria and placed them in Halah and on the Hebor, on the river of Gozan and in the cities of the Medes. And this occurred because the people of Israel had sinned against the Lord their God who had brought them up out of the land of Egypt from under the hand of Pharaoh, king of Egypt, and they had feared other gods. God had originally rescued from the, them from the land of slavery and brought them to a land of freedom. And then he cast them out of that land when they disobeyed. They were in captivity again until they would repent and return to him. And I just want us to understand that sometimes we need to reorient our understanding of God. All of us have an understanding of God, and none of it, none of our understandings are exactly right. On one end of the spectrum, we see God as mean and uncaring, some of us do, and all he does is discipline. On the other end of the spectrum, we can see God as nice and cordial, and he would never discipline. And a lot of those misunderstandings come from the way we were raised. And the Bible's trying to say the proper understanding of God is not that he's a cruel stepfather who mistreats us or abuses us. He's not a happy-go-lucky, jolly grandfather who only gives his grandkids what he wants and never expects anything from them. He's a good father who disciplines us when it's right and is kind to us when it's right. And I want us to grow and see that we need that discipline. Have you ever, have you ever seen an undisciplined child? Don't you think that we become like that if our father doesn't discipline us? Undisciplined children put themselves in, and others in danger. I remember one time I was on this camping trip and I saw this other kid, and he had found the fire axe, and he thought that was pretty cool, and he's playing with it, but not in a good way. And his dad was yelling at him, put down that axe. You're going to hurt someone. And he threatened him and said, if you don't put down the axe, I'm going to do this and this and this to you, and he never did any of it. And it was like, it was like the little kid knew that he wasn't going to do any of it. So instead of pulling down the axe, he just got angry at his dad and was yelling at him and swinging the axe around. And that's how I become when I'm not disciplined. Put myself in jeopardy, put other people in jeopardy. And so discipline is actually something that we need. And we should be thankful God is like that. Even when it's hard. So that leads me to the second part of my sentence. God disciplines us specifically for our good. God disciplines us for our good. Now, if you read back in Deuteronomy when God's talking about sending his people into captivity, which he does, it's beautiful. Because if you read a few chapters later, he's already talking about the restoration. He's already talking about that he's going to use the discipline to make things better than they would have been if he didn't discipline. 
God's not disciplining his people out of spite or anger. He's disciplining them because he wants to do good to them. He knows he's going to discipline them because he can see ahead. He knows they're going to disobey. But he also knows that he has a good purpose behind the discipline that he has. We can see this in Deuteronomy chapter 30. And when all these things come upon you, the blessing and the curse, which I have set before you, and you call them to mind, among all the nations where the Lord your God has driven you, and return to the Lord, you and your children, and obey his voice in all that I command you today, with all your heart and with all your soul, then the Lord your God will restore your fortunes and have mercy on you. And he will gather you again from all the peoples where the Lord your God has scattered you. If your outcasts are in the uttermost parts of heaven, from there the Lord your God will gather you. And from there, he will take you. And we can see that that's exactly what he's up to in Hosea. He says, for he has torn us. Why? That he may heal us. He has struck us down. Why? Because he wants to bind us up. Isn't this such good news? That every time the Lord ever hurts you, which he does from time to time, if you're his child, it's always because he has a good motive to help you. He's not like people who hurt you because they're selfish. He only ever does it because he cares about you. And this is crucial to understand. Because at any moment in your life, there are only two options. You're either hardening your heart towards God or you're softening your heart towards God. There's no such thing as a person who's doing neither. You never stop still. You're either running away from God or you're running towards him. Right now, you're running away from God or you're running towards him. And every time a hard thing happens to you, even discipline, you're even more inclined to either run away from him or run towards him. And so the question you have to ask yourself is, how am I going to respond when I get disciplined? Am I going to run away from God? Or am I going to run towards God? And the main burden that I have today, the thing I want us to walk away with and take with us and understand, is that let us run towards God all the time, especially when he disciplines us. Especially when he disciplines us. I want to tell you guys the story of another father and a son I saw, and another story that stuck in my mind, even though it was many years ago when I saw it. This father, uh, his son did something bad, and he deserved a spanking. And his father spanked his son. And his son was crying, and in anguish, and shamed. And I watched the son run into his father's arms for comfort. And his father gave him a hug. Many times after being disciplined as a kid, I would run away and pout and mope. But this child knew what he needed. He needed his father, and he ran to his father. 
And I want that picture to be the picture of how we respond to discipline. We would run to our Father rather than away from our Father. And I understand that you want to run away from Him when it hurts. But that's the most important moment when we need to run to Him. Here's Hebrews 12, 7. It is for discipline that you have to endure. God is treating you as sons. For what son is there whom his father does not discipline? If you are left without discipline, in which all have participated, then you are illegitimate children and not sons. Besides this, we have had earthly fathers who have disciplined us and we respected them. Shall we not much more be subject to the Father of spirits and live? For they disciplined us for a short time as seemed best to them, but he disciplined us for our good that we may share in his holiness. For the moment, all discipline seems painful rather than pleasant. But later, it yields a peaceful fruit of righteousness for those who have been trained by it. When we're being disciplined, we have to remember that God is good. We have to. I'm going to get into later how we know that God is good. Like, it's not just good enough for me to tell you God is good. We have to know that he's good, and I'm going to explain how we can know he's good, but just stick with me for a moment. God is good, and we have to remember that when he disciplines us. And actually, our whole response to his discipline hangs on what we believe about him. You will respond to God when you're disciplined and other times based off of what you believe he's like. What you believe God is like determines how you respond to God when he disciplines you. Here's this quote from a pastor from a long time ago named John Kelvin, and it's important. It says, The beginning of repentance is a sense of God's mercy. That is, when men are persuaded that God is ready to give you pardon. Then they begin to gather courage to repent. Otherwise, perverseness will ever increase in them. However much their sin may frighten them, yet they will never return to the Lord. All of us fear rejection. That's why we run away from other people before they can hurt us, because we fear rejection. And we project that on God, too. Oftentimes we run away from God because we're afraid he's going to reject us. And we're afraid when we're getting disciplined that we're getting rejected. That's why it's so easy to run away in those moments. But Hosea is saying that because God is good, you actually don't have to fear rejection and you can run to him. That's why you can run to him when you're afraid to run to him. You get courage, not because you're a good person. You get courage because he's a good person. That's why you can go to him. I, I long for us to, um, there's this amazing verse that has ministered to me in times of distress, in times of hardship. It's Psalm 119.71. It's um, King David said this, and I just long for us to embrace this verse and treasure this verse. It says, 
it was, it was good for me that I was afflicted, that I might learn your statutes. What, 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 what faith? If, if we could grow to the point of saying, it was good for me that I was afflicted. If you could look at pain in your life, even pain for sin, and say, I know this hurts, but it's good for me because it's going to make me more holy. When we value holiness more than comfort, that's, that's maturity. That's maturity, and that's how I long for us to respond in those moments. I want to move on to my third point. So God disciplines us to do us good in order to give us more of his presence. This third point, to give us more of his presence, that's fundamentally the good God is giving us in his discipline. It's more of his presence. That's the good thing we need. That's the good thing we should desire. That's the good thing that actually satisfies us. We didn't believe that because we're sinning against him and we're going after something else instead of him. But that's really what we need and desire is his presence. All of us are so hungry for it. That's why we stuff such perverse things into ourselves when we don't have it. Because of how empty we are apart from his presence. That's the good thing that God wants to give you is himself. If you're in sin right now, if you need to repent and it's painful, the good thing God is trying to give you right now is himself. What he's trying to do is separate you from the thing that's separating you and him. That's all he's trying to do. He's taking drastic measures to separate you from the thing that's separating you and him. And any of you would do the same thing for one another. If we were on a walk, and for some reason you had your earphones in and were walking on a train track, and I look up, and I notice a train is coming for you. And you're walking the other way so you can't see it. The first thing I'd probably do is start waving my hands at you like, hey, hey, there's, there's a train coming. But you, don't, you either don't know what I'm doing or you don't respond to me or you don't see it. Okay, I'm going to start yelling. Hey, there's a train coming. Get off the tracks. Okay, nothing happens. What, what do I do now? Okay, it's time to do it. I'm going to straight up tackle you. And I know I don't look like it, but I hit hard. And I would do it, and it would hurt. But it would be so good because you wouldn't die. That's what happens when God disciplines you. He's keeping you from dying. He's keeping you from sin that would eventually kill you if you don't repent from it. His heart for us, we see this heart in 1 Corinthians eleven thirty two. But when we are judged by the Lord, we are disciplined. We're disciplined. So that we might, may not be condemned along with the rest of the world. His discipline prevents your condemnation. Um, I used to have a girlfriend who, um, her and I, 
were in somewhat unhealthy relationship. Um, we were pushing the physical boundaries a little bit, and and I knew it was wrong, and I knew I had to repent, and I kept doing it. Um, I remember at one point I was despairing because of my sin. Um, sometimes we get there, we, we despair because of our sin, but that doesn't mean we repent of it. We just are really sad and keep doing it. And um, I remember praying to the Lord, um, God, you can go ahead and judge me. Um, I would not recommend praying that prayer. Just, just a heads up. Um, I remember shortly after becoming so violently ill. It was one of the few times in my life I thought to myself, are you going to die? Like, it was in my dorm room. I remember my first year of college, I was talking on the phone to my parents. They were going to come pick me up and bring me to the ER. And I thought for a moment, like, am I going to die? Um, I didn't. And um, our relationship ended shortly afterwards. But it was good for me that I was afflicted that night. Because it helped me to learn God's statutes. That I need to repent of immorality and remove myself from a situation he's telling me I'm not allowed to be in. It was good for me. Um, you might be asking, uh, in verse 2, says that uh, after two days he will revive us. On the third day he will raise us up. Okay, what does that mean? After two days he will revive us. On the third day he will raise us up. This is probably a poetic way of saying that God's restoration will happen quickly. God is eager to restore you. If you're in a state of discipline right now, his heart is one of wanting restoration, not of wanting you to suffer. He is eager to restore you. And I know when the Bible says something happens quick, it doesn't always feel like it's quick in our experience. <laughs> like, kind of like Jesus coming back. Like, it says, like, the, lo the Lord is not slow to fulfill his promises, as some count slowness, but kind of feels like it takes a long time. I take this more as if you turn back to him, he will inevitably restore you. It's guaranteed. There is no discipline you're going through that you won't be restored from if you, re if you return to him. And he's so eager to restore you. And the restoration might happen in five seconds. It might happen in five years. It might happen in the age to come, but it will happen. And he wants that restoration for you. I want that restoration from you. So, so, so come to him. It's, it will be quick. He wants, he wants to give you the restoration. These verbs also, the, ver the verbs in verses 2 and 3, he will revive us. He will raise us up. They um, also sound like verbs of resurrection. I don't know if anyone else's mind went there. But in the historical context, if the people were removed from the land, it's like a death for, for the people. They, they lost God's presence. They lost the life they were receiving there. God's discipline was like death. And when they come back, it will be like a resurrection. And when we turn from our sin, it's like a resurrection. It's like you were dead, and now you're alive. Because your sin was taking you away from God and separating you from him, 
and to have his presence back, a fuller experience of his presence. Not that he ever really left you, but that you get a new experience of his presence when you're restored is like a resurrection. And I know that sounds a little unclear. I have a story I want to share to illustrate it. Um, so there, there's a Twin Cities pastor that Sam and I know and we care about. Um, and I just learned a couple days ago that he left his wife and his church to run off with another woman. So the, this, this man is, is dead right now. He's, he's dead in his sins. There's no life. There's no spiritual life there. He's, he's, he's dead. And I think a good prayer for this pastor is, Lord, discipline him. Help him to feel the pain that he's bringing on himself in eternity if he, right now if he doesn't turn from this sin so he can turn from it. And if he, if he did turn from it, right? If he did turn, and I pray he does, what, what, I'm going to hope when he does return from his sin and repents to his wife and his church and his God and restoration happens over a period of time, he came back to life. And the same thing happens to us on a smaller scale. Whenever we turn from a sin, it's coming more alive. The old, the old me is dying. The new, the new me is coming alive. I want to apply this to, to believers and just ask anyone here who's following Jesus, what sin do you need to separate from right now I didn't say tomorrow. I didn't say next week. What sin do you need to separate from right now that is keeping you from God's presence? What sin is making you miserable? That you'd be happy if you repented and got God back. More of his presence back. What do you need to turn from? You might be feeling suffering right now, and I want to reiterate it may be because of sin, and it may not be because of sin. I'm not God. I don't know. I don't know why you're suffering. It might be a test. You might be a righteous sufferer. Or it might be tender mercy calling you back. Either way, God loves you and is trying to help you in that. But if you're, you could be feeling physical illness right now because of your sin. We, saw, we see that that happened to the, in the Corinthian church. That they became ill and some of them died because of their sin. You might be feeling emotional anguish. You might be feeling a troubled conscience. You might be feeling a, la a loss of God's presence. Or you might be hearing other believers. This is another way God disciplines us. I wish I had more time to talk about this, but other believers saying to us, you're in sin. And that's not pleasant to hear. But it's so, so good. So what sin today do you need to separate from? Do you need to repent of? Do you need to turn from? I just encourage you not to leave this room until you do that. Tell someone else that sin. Tell me, tell any other member, this is in my life and it needs to not be in my life anymore. Maybe you've been waiting for a moment to get rid of it. 
Right now is your moment. If anyone here is not yet a follower of Jesus, this offers for you too. Except for, instead of being restored to God, you're going to be saved for the first time. Come talk to me. Talk to any other member of the family here. Don't leave without having your sin removed from you. It will kill you. I wanted to mention, I asked before, how do we know that God is good and he won't reject us? I think that's often something we bring up. Man, my sin is so bad that God could not be good enough to not reject me. We don't believe he's good enough to take us back. Well, how do we know he's good enough to take us back? That phrase from verse 2, it says, on the third day he will revive us. There was someone else who came to life on the third day. Um, if I were to ask you who it is, you'd just give me the Sunday school answers. It was Jesus. Jesus came to life on the third day. And Jesus coming to life shows that God accepted his sacrifice for our sins. It's the proof. Are you wondering if God can forgive your sins? The answer is yes, and Jesus is alive shows that he can forgive your sins. He can't reject you because he's paid for sins already. He has bound himself to being good to anyone who comes to him. Jesus being alive shows that no one gets turned away. If Jesus hadn't come back, I think we'd be right. We could ask, will he accept us? The answer is yes, he will. Because Jesus shows us that he accepts any who come to him. Romans 1.4 says, And Jesus was declared to be the Son of God in power, according to the Spirit of holiness, by his resurrection from the dead. Jesus Christ, our Lord. We're right on 4th Avenue right now. We could walk up the street a few blocks, and we'd find the Hennepin County Jail. And I could bring you in that jail, and I could say, hey, you find me a person who's too wicked for God to forgive. And you wouldn't be able to do it. Because that person doesn't exist. So if you're stuck believing the lie that I've sinned too much for God to stop disciplining me, or I've sinned too much for God to welcome me home, you're wrong. You're wrong. He's eager and ready to welcome you, to receive you back right, right now, this very moment. Because Jesus came back to life. That means there's always hope for any of us, wherever we are. I want to point out that um, Hosea 6.1 starts off with a plural. Let let us, let us return to the Lord. Isn't that interesting? Not let me return to the Lord, let, let us return to the Lord. Well, what does that mean? I think this confession for sin, this 
acknowledgement of discipline is supposed to happen with other believers. I want to encourage us and invite us to share our sin, our repentance, our discipline in our DNA groups, our MC groups. I want us to have a culture where we're comfortable talking about sin, but never being stuck in sin. I want us to be comfortable talking about our sin, but never comfortable being stuck in our sin. I really believe that as you talk, when you open up and share about your sin and about your repentance, other people are going to feel open to share about their sin and their repentance, and they wouldn't have before. You opening up and sharing paves the way for other people to repent. You repenting in front of others blazes a trail for other people to repent. I want us to be a place where repentance is cherished, where repentance is normal, where repentance is welcomed. We, we, we see this Martin Luther in, in the first of his 95 theses says that repentance is the lifestyle of a Christian every day. So why would you go to a group with other believers and act like you don't have anything to repent for? I do. You do. Because Jesus died and rose again, we don't have to pretend anymore like we're perfect. We don't have to pretend like other people shouldn't know about our sin. We can go and tell them and let them know. Because he gets the glory when he forgives us. When it's clear that Jesus has forgiven us, it's clear it's about him and it's not about us. I'll leave you with my main burden for you. The thing I want you to take with you is, church, let us run after God. Especially when he's disciplining us. 